something different and unusual different and unusual much like um us ourselves yes yeah I, i'm different you're unusual so the original plan was to look at the simpsons movie at the end of every season but last time we watched the simpsons movie i actually saw your soul leave your body yeah and start bouncing around on the ceiling leaving yellow stains everywhere so i was hur- is that a ghostbusters reference i don't think so i oh. think that's just what i saw happen oh right sorry i i I'm trying to figure out why there is an assumption that all souls have a yellow staining element to them. Well, the issue was that there was something strange in your neighborhood and we tried to call someone, but we didn't know who to get in contact with. So instead we decided to do something slightly different. Also, have I just made a really weird error in assuming that ghosts and souls are the same thing? Are they the same? (laughs) Well, we're going to find out in the movie we're watching today, I think. Soul Busters. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, sweet. (laughs) All right, so... The idea for this week's episode is uh, Nick has not seen movies, right? Correct. I have not seen movies. But you have seen a lot of The Simpsons. Yes, correct. So you've seen a lot of... uh... You've seen a lot of episodes of The Simpsons that have in some way referenced the movie we're going to be watching today, which Wait. is The Shining. I shouldn't be coy about this. It's going to be in the title of the episodes. <laughs> yes. So, cool. Yep. I was about to go into a whole bit where I was going to be shocked at the idea of me watching a movie, but you're right. We, we, we've actually been planning this. We've been planning this for weeks. It would be ridiculous for me to assume I didn't know. it. So what we're going to do... It's a little peek behind the podcasting curtain there. When I was uh, when I was about 18, 19, 20, when I was a young man, yes. as opposed to the old man I am now. Yes, you're a very old man. Yep, uh, Gary Oldman, in fact. I went through a period where I was watching a lot of films and realizing, oh, this is where everything from The Simpsons came from. Mm. It's like there's that reference, that reference, that reference. Uh, the Shining is a big film for that, not only because of that Treehouse of Horror segment, but you know, little things pop up yep. everywhere. Uh, with The Shining, so today we're going to watch The Shining. We're going to see how it gels with your understanding of what The Shining is. Sure. I'm going to talk about The Shining a lot because I just like films, yeah, including this one. I think it is one of my absolute favorite horror films, although I have not watched it more than once because, to be honest, when I first watched it, it scared the shit out of me. Sure, sure, sure. So that should be interesting sure. for me to revisit and for you to discover for the first time. I don't know if you've watched... I mean, I hit record three minutes and 26 seconds ago. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but the, the realisation of the fact that I'm actually going to have to sit down and watch a movie <laughs> has only just dawned on me. And like we were talking about this last night. It's like, yeah, no, we'll do that. It'll be great. And there was part of me that's like, yeah, cool. You know, I can see this, see this movie and see how it gels with my understanding. But now I'm going, fuck, I have to sit down and watch a movie. That is a subpar outcome for me. It's such a movie, though. Yeah. So we're going to do a few things before we watch the movie. Uh, first of all, I would like you to tell me what your understanding of The Shining is. Oh, okay. And we're going to do this very straight. Just uh, You've seen a lot of parodies of The Shining. Yes. Based on that, what do you think this movie is? What is it about? What's it like? Okay, so I know... Uh, my entire knowledge of The Shining is pieced together from two things, Simpsons references and uh, a video 
on YouTube in which Adam Savage, one of the Mythbusters guys, he made um, a very big, like a dining table sized recreation of the maze in the hotel. Yeah. So I know there's a hotel called the Overlook Hotel, I think it is. Yes, there is. Yep. Um, uh, that's as far as the Adam Savage video gets me. <laughs> there's a place called the Overlook Hotel that has a garden maze. <laughs> there may or may not be a maze. <laughs> there may or may not be a maze. Uh, James Sherry is the host of that particular maze, and it's amazing. Um, it's an Australian reference from the 90s. <laughs> of course it is, because I'm Australian, and I lived in the 90s. Um, um, so, in the movie, um, I think that either the hotel is... Um, haunted by a presence or there is someone in the hotel who is completely bonkers and tries to kill the guests. Sure. Um, I think that at some point there are some twins that do something creepy and that there's an elevator full of blood that does something creepy just by its mere existence. Um, Whether the elevator full of blood is just its own thing or whether that is a series of guests who have been (laughs) pureed inside the elevator, I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, I think think that it is going to be the story of a, um, a mentally unstable um, uh, hotel employee tormenting a series of guests. <laughs> okay, this is, this is interesting because I feel like you have like many of the pieces but none of the big picture. <laughs> yes. Which is cool. Right. This will be an interesting experience for you. Sure. Definitely, I remember when I watched this movie for the first time... When the blood does come out of the elevator, of course, my first thought was, oh, that's funny, blood usually gets off at the second floor. Yes. Maybe spoiled the moment a little bit, because I'm sure it would have been terrifying otherwise. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it would have been. Now, Nick, I have a copy of Stephen King's The Shining here. I don't suppose you've read this book, have you? No. No, it's quite good. Uh, Stephen King... Are you going to make me read the book before watching the movie? Yeah, the whole thing. Oh, Fuck. <laughs> So you told me this little intro segment was only going to take 15 minutes. So Stephen King is, of course, the novelist behind The Shining. And he was never particularly happy with Kubrick's adaptation of it. Uh, the film was directed by Stanley Kubrick. That hasn't been sure. mentioned yet. Seems yes. important. He thought there were deviations from his text that he was not a fan of. Personally, I think the film is better than the book. Sure. But that is just uh, something to to couch before we watch it what i would like to do and this is slightly indulgent of me but i think i'm gonna do it anyway okay i've got this copy of the book i want to read to you the author note okay from the front of the shine (laughs) well may i say while you're gonna do that i'm gonna go make myself another coffee would you like one (laughs) oh i would love one this is three pages so i'm gonna read this while you do that in the background yep uh, the coffee machine, which is in many ways the fifth member, I think, of the podcast. <laughs> uh, bye, listeners. I'll be back in a moment. <laughs> All right. So this is the author's introduction to Stephen King's The Shining. And uh, I'm just going to read this because I think it's a really cool introduction. I think that in every writer's career, usually early in it, there comes a crossroads novel where the writer is presented with a choice, either doing what you have done before or try to reach a little higher. Where what you only realise in retrospect is how important that choice is. Sometimes the moment only comes once. For me, the Crossroads novel was The Shining and I did decide to reach. I can even remember the exact moment the choice came. It was when Jack Torrance, The Shining's flawed protagonist, is remembering his father, a drunken brute who abused his son mentally, physically and emotionally. 
All the ways it can be done, in other words. Part of me wanted to describe the father's brutality and leave it at that. Surely, I thought, the book's readers would make the connection between Jack's relationship with his father and Jack's relationship with his own son, Danny, who is, of course, The Shining's psychic focal point. Another part of me wanted to go deeper, to admit Jack's love of his father in spite of, or perhaps even because of, his father's unpredictable and often brutal nature. That was the part I listened to, and it made a big difference to the novel as a whole. Instead of changing from a relatively nice guy into a two-dimensional villain driven by supernatural forces to kill his wife and son, Jack Torrance became a more realistic and therefore more frightening figure. A killer motivated to his crimes by supernatural forces was, it seemed to me, almost comforting once you got below the surface thrills provided by any halfway competent ghost story. A killer that might be doing it because of childhood abuse as well as those ghostly forces. Ah, that seemed genuinely disturbing. Furthermore, it offered a chance to blur the lines between the supernatural and the psychotic to take my story into that I hope this is only a dream territory where the merely scary becomes outright horrifying. My sing single conversation with the late Stanley Kubrick about six months before he commenced filming on his version of The Shining suggested that it was this quality about the story that appealed to him. What exactly is impelling Jack Torrance towards murder in the winter isolated rooms and hallways of the Overlook Hotel? Is it undead people or undead memories? Mr. Kubrick and I came to different conclusions. I always thought there were malevolent ghosts in the Overlook driving Jack to the precipice, but perhaps those different conclusions are, in fact, the same. If aren't memories the true ghosts of our lives, do they not drive us all to words and acts we regret from time to time? The decision I made to try and make Jack's father a real person, one who is loved as well as hated by his flawed son, took me a long way down the road to my current beliefs concerning what is so blithely dismissed as the horror novel. I believe these stories exist because we sometimes need to create unreal monsters and bogeys to stand in for all the things we fear in our real lives. He would have hated art real monsters then. <laughs> he sure would have. <laughs> the parent who punches instead of kissing, the auto accident that takes a loved one, the cancer we one day discover living in our own bodies. If such terrible occurrences were acts of darkness, they might actually be easier to cope with. But instead of being dark, they have their own terrible brilliance, it seems to me. And none shine so bright as the acts of cruelty we sometimes perpetrate to our own families. Uh, to look directly at such brilliance is to be blinded, and so we create any number of filters. The ghost story, the horror story, the uncanny tale, all of these are such filters. The man or woman who insists that there are no ghosts is only ignoring the whispers of his or her own heart and how cruel they se that seems to me. Surely even the most malignant ghost is a lonely thing left out in the dark desperate to be heard. None of these things occurred to me in coherent or even semi-coherent form when I was writing The Shining in my little study looking out towards the Flattertrons. I had a story to write, my daily goal of 3,000 words to meet, I'm lucky if I manage 1,800 a day in my sixth decade, all I knew was that I had a choice, either to make Little Jackie's father a flat-out bad guy, which I could do in my sleep, or to try for something a little more difficult and complex in a word reality. If I had been less well-fixated financially, I might well have opted for choice number one. But my first two books, Carrie and Salem's Lot, had been successful, and We Kings were doing okay in that regard. 
and I didn't want to settle for less when I sensed I could open up the book's emotional anti considerably by making Jack Torrance a real character instead of just one of the Overlook's boogeymen. The, results, the result wasn't perfect, and there was a cocky quality to some of the Shining's prose that has come to grate on me in later years, but I still like the book enormously and recognize the importance of the choice it forced upon me. Between the safe unreality of the amusement park funhouse and the much more dangerous truths that lurk between the lines of this fantasy of, sorry, of the fantasy genre's more successful books. Works. Fuck. The truth is that monsters are real. And the ghosts are too, you can hear one of them in the background here. They live inside us and sometimes they win. That are better, better angels sometimes, often win instead in spite of all odds is another truth of The Shining. And thank God it is. New York City, February 8, 2001. So, if anyone from Audible is listening, uh, obviously don't take me up for one of your reading jobs because I don't think I'd be very good at it. My throat's going to dry from just those three pages. Uh, to whoever has done an audiobook version of The Shining, I tip my hat to you, or at least I would if I was wearing a hat. Hey, look, Nick is back. How's it going? How's that coffee going? Well, that was a well-plotted piece of non-claptrap that never made me want to retch. Yeah, good. <laughs> and off he goes again. Alright, so we're going to watch The Shining now. Uh, the Stanley Kubrick version of The Shining, in case that wasn't clear. Not the TV miniseries that, uh, King preferred. We're going to watch that, we're going to come back, we're going to talk about it in relation to The Simpsons. This isn't going to be another Love the Beast situation. Although we do love the beast uh, pretty deeply, it is one of our core philosophies. There are beasts, of course, in The Shining, but uh, we don't necessarily have a lot of love for them. Uh, and for the last time ever, from a pre-Shining Nick... See you in a minute, mates. I, I went into the intro without a, a, a tag. <laughs> yeah, you came in hot as well. Yeah, I did. I did. All right, see you in a bit. And... In shining. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are back. We are. I'm trying to find that link I sent you weeks ago. To what? all the like shining references in The Simpsons. Oh, I didn't look at that list. Um, <laughs> of course you didn't. No, but um, so you mentioned at the the start in the the, the pre shining days, those halcyon pre shining days. Halcyon days. Um, I um, uh, you mentioned that we got sick of watching The Simpsons movies, so instead we're going to watch movies that The Simpsons reference. Yeah. What we didn't say was the. Uh, the title that I've come up with for this miniseries, oh, yes. which is 22 long films about or otherwise tangentially related to Springfield. Is that what we saw on? <laughs> you really enjoyed that when I sent it, when I sent it to you in our message chat. Yeah, it's pretty good. So um, what I suspect that means from a kind of uh, search engine optimization point of view, we probably... so. Any regular listeners to Pods in the Key of Springfield will know that we've got the Eat My Shorts miniseries where we look at things that are outside yes, or related to the Simpsons universe. I think this is a different miniseries, and I think it is called, by its full name, 22 Long Films About or Otherwise Tangentially Related to Springfield. Um, I think, however, that's too long for search engine optimization, and sure. that we should colloquially refer to this series as 22 Films. Now, 
Do I think we're going to do 22 films? Not necessarily. God, I hope so. Uh, but I think, uh, yeah, so this is episode one yes. of the miniseries of Pods in the Key of Springfield that we are going to be calling 22 long films about or otherwise tangentially related to Springfield or 22 films for short. And we've just finished watching The Shining. Yes, we have. Okay, so I mean, how how do you want to how do you want this discussion to go? Do you want me to give my thoughts, or I suspect you don't give two hoots about my thoughts? You just want to talk about the shining. No, I deeply want to hear your thoughts. So we before before Mm. the little break, you said what you thought the shining was about. Yeah, how different was that from what you thought it was going to be? I mean, on the one hand, it was very different. And also not that different. So I suppose on a broad concept level, I understood that it was about a hotel that drives people to or is incidental to uh, mental instability. Yes. Uh, But I mean, that's such a broad take that it's (laughs) not even really considered a summary of the movie, I would imagine. Uh, Something that surprised me is I didn't realise that the kid played such a vital role. And at some point I turned to you and said, well, I didn't realise the kid. And you're like, the kid's the main character. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't realise that. Yeah, it's a total, um, we have uh, called in a previous episode a Bildungsrang, which is uh, <laughs> me trying to remember the word Bildungsroman, I think. Bildungsroman, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I was very surprised by that. Um, other things I was surprised by, uh, how much I enjoyed the set design. Yes. Lots of very bold carpets mixed with very bold furnishings. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, one thing that uh, we've established that you hate films and content in general, right? Yes, yes. Um, I'm anti-content. One thing that I... This might have been me being kind of generous in my reading of how you were watching the film. You seem to not hate it at the very least. Oh, uh, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Not hate it's a strong term. No, 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 no. I mean, uh, it did get to a point which, unfortunately, in, it was um, it happened simultaneously with you know the climax of the film, where I was like, "Oh, I'd love to be doing anything other than watching a movie right now." <laughs> I am very bored by how long this whole thing's gone on for. But um, yeah, I mean, the movie itself was yeah, it was reasonably enjoyable. Um, I found it. Um, very slow and that's not a criticism that's just how movies were paced back then um um and maybe some movies are still paced like that i don't know i don't watch them yeah i don't think it's necessarily a a time thing i think that's just like stanley kubrick being very methodical and uh liking to take a long time maybe it's kubrickian but i do think that older films were generally paced slower than modern ones ah not necessarily oh well, you're the, you're the movie guy, so I'll bow to you on this. Kubrick does like to sort of luxuriate in some of these shots. He's just uh, in love with his own camera, which I think is entirely fair because uh, it's a very good film. Uh, so I've got um, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10... I've got 12 notes here. See, this is interesting because I didn't take any notes any because notes I was too enthralled by the film to want to stop and think about anything this while is, it was happening. This is, in many ways, a reversal of a standard episode where you've got several pages of notes and I've just written the title. Yeah. Um, I have also written the title. You've it's, written the title in like some words that you'd no longer know the meanings behind usually. This is correct. Yeah. Um, uh, would you like me to go through my notes? You're, you're going to hate these notes. Yeah, let's go through um, the notes. So we're going to try to talk about this in relation to 
how you've understood The Shining through The Simpsons and sure. whether any Simpsons references sort of jumped out at you or references The Simpsons uh, has made. These these notes aren't really going to cover that. <laughs> Brilliant. My first note is uh, collared shirt with crew neck jumper. Don't like that. <laughs> yeah, you kept commenting on the fashion of this movie. Yeah, though, I was the mad. Whole thing. I was mad keen on the fashion. The, yeah. the the kid had some. The kid has some cool shirts. Um, there's one. There's another note down here <laughs> that says Royal Stuart Tartan because he was wearing a shirt that was the Royal Stuart Tartan. Next, uh, yes. all of your notes just comments on the jumpers and shirts that Danny wore during The Shining. Um, I, I don't have any comments on the. Well, sorry, I do have it. Yes. Yeah, you have to have at least one because he was wearing that Mickey Mouse jumper at one point. The Mickey Mouse jumper was cool. Yeah, and Mickey Mouse kicking the football. Yeah, that was fun. Um, that like was a actually Charlie Brown. That was the. Uh, no, actually, that wasn't the crew neck jumper that he was wearing with the collared neck shirt. But if, if you're wearing a collared shirt, wear a V-neck jumper. It's easy. Um, uh, my next note is... Uh, oh, and sorry, the other jumper I was going to comment on was the one that has the Apollo spaceship knitted into it because you've told me that there are some people that think this is a admitting faking the moon landing. Yeah, because there's this uh, theory that Stanley Kubrick was responsible for the footage of the moon landing and that he filmed it all in a soundstage, and some people believe The Shining is his way of admitting his uh, culpability in that. How do you get that from The Shining? You uh, you take some long, long leaps. Mm. One small leap for a conspiracy theorist. Very good. Giant fucking leap for everyone else, though. Very, very good. Um, my next note is that uh, uh, Jack Nicholson is a jerk, and that I find conflict ultimately pointless. <laughs> you find conflict pointless? What, in films and movies? Or just I, I just get... There are a couple of scenes where um, Jack Nicholson's character, whatever his name is, is being so mean to Wendy that I just sit there going, I don't want to watch someone be mean to someone else. <laughs> this is not something I find any entertainment in. And I understand that it's a movie and yeah. we're meant to have... <laughs> That's kind of what the movie and, is about. Yeah, <laughs> but I honestly... I actually sit there going... Well, if I'm going to watch this guy be an arsehole, I may as well go watch Gordon Ramsay be an arsehole or Simon Cowell yell at a child who can't sing. I just don't like watching people being mean to each other. Well, it's kind of a movie largely about how the creative process pushes uh, pushes people to like very toxic behaviour that they think they can justify, which is funny because Kubrick was a complete piece of shit on the making, on the set of this film. Really? Famously, like, um, Shirley MacLaine, who plays his wife... Uh, not giving a particularly great performance throughout most of the film. It's sort of the famous. Wait, do you mean Wendy? Isn't that Shirley Duval? Shirley Duval, of course. Yeah. yeah. Why did I say McLean? It's Duval. Yes. Yeah. How do you know that? And I don't. I saw it in the credits. Okay, very good. So yeah, she um, her performance is not great in the film. No. And Kubrick was famously very mean to her on the set because he thought this would be a way to like create a sense of isolation between her and like the rest of the cast and crew and get like a performance out of her that way that's that, that makes me sad yeah I but mean, um he I would mean, like sort of like tell her that people working on the film didn't like her like that sort of thing he did oh. yeah so like the way jack is mean to her was sort of reflected in how the film was made and of course the film is about the creative process and what it drives you to do in some ways so there's a lot of shit happening in The Shining. Well, that's disappointing um, because, <laughs> sure. I mean, the way I look at it is if you've hired an actor 
trust their ability to act. And if you tell if you tell to them, hey, you need to act like you're isolated and sad, mm. then that surpasses the requirement for you to be a fuckwit to them. Yeah. I just have no tolerance for that kind of Hollywood bullshit. No. None, none at all. And to me, now that I know that, I'm actually angry that I've watched that movie. <laughs> it is so pointless to be mean to people that I can't see why anyone would enjoy the product of being mean to people. I realise yeah. this is a super hardline <laughs> stance to take, but I'm not interested in meanness. Yeah, it is a complicated thing because the yeah. movie is like a masterpiece. I love it. I think it's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. But um, that is easily the worst element of the film is her performance. And it's because I think Kubrick was awful to her. Possibly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did find, especially towards the end, like um, the, a lot of really bad arm flailing while she was running down corridors. Yeah. Stop flailing your arm, Shelley. Yeah. Oh, that was too mean of me. Um, my next comment is, um, I think that there might be a crossover between the Shining universe and the Simpsons universe. Oh, okay. The manager of the Overlook Hotel, according to the nameplate on his desk, is Stuart Ullman. Yes. I'm going to assume that he's Tracy's husband, Tracy Ullman, who had the talk show on which the Simpsons were discovered. Yeah. Do you think he maybe pulled Tracy aside and said, listen, I got an idea... Some little cartoon figures. I got an idea for some little cartoon friends. Yeah. And then Tracy said, uh, Wow, that's great. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Get Matt Groening on the phones. Hey. Hey. It's not what Tracy Ullman sounds like, I think. I've got confused between Tracy Ullman and Dick Tracy. <laughs> Common mistake. Common mistake. Um, my next note is um, Jack Nicholson, who, by the way, I enjoyed that they that his character name was Jack because there's part of me that was like, did Kubrick know that Jack would that Jack Nicholson was like a a method actor and wants to always be called by his character name when he's on set? And he went, well, fuck, I've got an easy solution for this. I'll just call him character Jack. Or well, maybe Stephen King uh, figured while he was writing this book, ah, oh, I'll get Jack Nicholson to play this character. See? Are you suggesting Stephen King has some kind of ability to have premonitions and see events that have not yet happened? Huh. Now, that's huh. an interesting thought. Now, 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 there's a concept for a book and, and or film. Um, uh, when in in one of his um, sucker punch like hallucinations, Jesus fucking Christ! <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? I said that with such a smile on my face because I knew you were going to hate cheeky it. Cheeky piece of shit. <laughs> Motherfucker! In, what in, in one of his Zack Snyder esque sucker punch. Ah, uh, Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ! Am I going to have to leave the room here? What are you doing to me? How dare you do this? Oh, fuck me. Oh, that's so much fun. Um, he asks for bourbon and the uh, Lloyd, the bartender, pours um, Jack Daniels. Now, my understanding is that bourbon has to come from the town of Bourbon, which is in Kentucky. Kentucky. Jack Daniels comes from Tennessee. He didn't get what he ordered. Well, the um, my th- thinking here is that uh, Jack just doesn't know alcohol that well, and this is basically happening in his head. Oh, that's interesting. So when he orders a bourbon, he gets just what he wants. Right. Or is it a little bit like, uh, you know, the lucid dreaming thing, where if you think you're in a dream, you but if it's a lucid one that you can control, then you're meant to, to test if it's a thing, you pick up a book 
look at the words, look away, and if you look back and the words have changed, then you know you're in a dream. Yeah. Maybe it's that kind of thing where he's just like, there's a bit of mismatch between his dream and what the reality of the dream is. Mm, mismatch does a good session ale. Oh, it's, oh. it's a beer brand here in <laughs> that's a That is a brewery. Yeah. Um, yeah beer yes. brand, I'm so uncool. Beer, anyway. Beer, beer <laughs> brand. Um, or, uh, or, yeah, maybe he's just a dingus. I mean, we have no way of knowing. Yeah. Can we ask um, Stephen King? Uh, just let me get him on the phone. Just one moment. Is Stephen King? Hello, not- Stephen. Oh. Yeah, it's me again. <laughs> yep, that's right. That's right. Oh, you don't say. Oh, you don't say. You don't say. You don't say. Well, bye. What did he say? <laughs> <laughs> what was that bit? I was um, hoping you were going to say, who is that? And I would say Stephen King. Oh. Obviously. <laughs> Okay, you had a very specific <laughs> yeah. outcome for that very generic setup. Yeah, I trusted you to go along with my very bad joke. Oh, that was funny. Um, <clears throat> You've got other notes? I've got other notes. Um, at one point, when uh, Jack is going up to room 237, which I'm now going to tangent out of my written note into a mental note that I had. Sure. Uh, the stuff about room 237, um, I think... I knew that Room 237 was going to be a thing. Yeah. Mostly because you told me about a documentary which is called Room 237. Yeah. Is that the conspiracy documentary or yes. another one? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I find it interesting that the woman in the bath in both of her stages, yeah. um, as in zombie and not zombie, um, that has completely escaped my pop culture reference radar. Uh, because that was one of the most unexpected parts of the film to me. Because yeah. there were lots of scenes where I went, oh, okay, I think Family Guy has done this and I know it's going to be the twins appearing in the corridor. Or yeah. Simpsons has done this and I know that we'll see a shot of Jack frozen in the snow. You know, that mm. kind of stuff. Uh, whereas the woman in the bathtub, it was like generally, like genuinely me going, what the fuck? How, how has this never been referenced? Or at least a reference that I've never noticed. Well, there's so much nudity and also like... In my opinion, it's easily the scariest part of the film. Yeah, I agree. So I think that makes it a little hard to yeah, do I, in the same way. I guess so. And it I doesn't. Guess so. I guess it doesn't quite fit into like the archetypes of you know the little girls and yeah. all the other stuff quite as easily. I think it's. it's I remember like the first time I saw this film, that scene frightened the shit out of me. Yeah. And this time, it's still pretty terrifying. I it's think it's pretty jarring, but yeah. um, it's it's it was just so strange because you know. The little girls and the 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 tricycle and the mm. maze and all that stuff. Those things are all very. Um, I don't think that they are necessarily easier to reference. I just think they have been referenced more, and I was very surprised when that whole lady in the bath scene thing happened. Yeah. But in the room two three seven, lady in the bath scene, um, there is a very prominent soundtrack of a heartbeat. Yes. And that intro uh, that induced such a fucking panic in me. Um, there's an episode of podcast 99% Invisible, um, the one with Roman Mars, sure. um, where they talk about some live show they did where they played, uh, as, um, sound effect under the story, they were playing the sound of a heartbeat and they were in a, a 500 seat theater or something. And like three or four people actually got up and left during that segment. And I think one person fainted <laughs> and then they did a, a follow up story on why. 
And there's this thing where, um, for some people, hearing the sound of a very closely microphoned heartbeat um, actually induces like anxiety because it makes you focus on your own heartbeat. Yeah, and I can if, understand and, that. And if the, the sound you're hearing is out of time with what you can feel your own heartbeat doing, then that introduces this weird mismatch into your thing. The yeah, the sound of the heartbeat made me so much more stressed than any other element of the movie, and I thought yeah, that was interesting. I can understand that. Um, uh, room two three seven, woman of the bath. I mentioned that. Uh, uh, Red rum, obviously the the Millhouse writing on the wall. Trad pew sick. pew sip. That's the one. Uh, Millhouse, why don't I tell uh, you about writing on the walls? The the what can you tell me about Javier Escuela? <laughs> the other. Um, <laughs> Should we explain? <laughs> That. Uh, um, a long time ago, was it when we were living together? I think it was before that. Yeah, I think it was, it was before when you were too. playing Red Dead Redemption. Yeah, I was playing Red was Dead like Redemption a lot. Six years ago. Yeah, it's a very yeah great game, and I was really into it. And I think you did your Kirk Van Houten. What can you tell me about? Uh, what have I told you about writing on the walls? <laughs> yeah. And because I was playing Red Dead Redemption, I was like, hey, those voices are moderately similar. <laughs> and so since then. Um, uh, Kirk Van Houten has, in my mind, been asking people, what can you tell me about Javier Escuela? <laughs> yeah. um, Javier Escuela being a character in Red Dead Redemption. Um, but Red Rum, so obviously the trap you sit, but the other place that I know that reference from is an episode of, remember the reality show Girls of the Playboy Mansion? <sighs> kind of, I yeah, guess. Yeah, with, with Kendra and Holly and the third one whose name I don't remember um, there was an episode where they were having like some party in the hefts in the in the mansion and they got red paint and painted red rum on the carpet and then Hef came in and he was like what the fuck have you done to my carpet <laughs> um, so that was weird that is strange uh, sweet bathroom in the scene mm. where Jack and um, the butler uh, Jeeves no Grady uh, yeah, yeah. D- Del Delbert Delbert Gravy I believe so yes. Gravy Grady Yeah Stuart Gravy o- Jones Stuart O'Grady Australian yeah. cyclist um, That red bathroom um, With the All the The white ceramic stuff it's Fucking sweet It looks so cool I love what it What amuses me about Watching you watch a film Is that you've said to me That you think fiction is pointless And yes. you don't like on, You know You don't like stories Yeah Which is absurd to me Whatever The yeah, thing yeah, is yeah. like while you were watching this film, you kept commenting on parts of it that were good with like such earnest surprise <laughs> that you love like the set design and like the carpets. Like it had never occurred to you that these are like parts of cinema. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there were a couple of times where I was just like, oh, wow, that's a really nice shot. And you were like, of course it's a nice shot. It's a Kubrick film. <laughs> but I just really enjoyed how you like seemed very surprised at the fact that you were finding things outside of just the straight up narrative to take to take any sort of interest from yeah yeah Yeah. that's fair um last note uh all work and no play makes jack a dull boy yes interesting that well something i found interesting is from the simpsons I knew that th- I knew that there was the no um, beer, no TV makes Homer something something. Yeah, um, and I think I knew from somewhere that the the actual line was all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Yeah, I don't remember they why. Actually, I that was a a uh, chalkboard gag in oh. one episode, the last temptation of Homer. During the chalkboard gag, Bart repeatedly writes all work and no play makes Bart a dull boy. That's cool. Thank you, Simpsons Wiki. Thank you. Um, 
but from the Simpsons where Homer goes crazy, yeah. I had thought that it was going to be written on the walls, not on the typewriter. Ah, yep. Because in Simpsons is written all over the walls. Um, Much like Red Rum. Yeah, and I knew that it started at the typewriter, and I was mm. surprised that it was then a stack of paper next to the typewriter rather mm. than um, mm. all over the walls. Well, in the Simpsons parody, on the typewriter, he's written feeling fine, and then it's all over oh, the walls. Oh, yes, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's fun. Yes, I was thinking about that scene from The Simpsons, which this podcast is nominally about, while. Uh, Whilst Wendy was going through the stack of papers and said, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Because I started thinking about that Simpsons scene where Marge walks in and says, maybe his writing will be a window into his madness. Sure. Which is a nice point line. And it just sort of hit me, oh, Homer's not a writer. That's a strange like thing that they had to shoehorn in. Oh, yeah, that's a really interesting point. <laughs> Homer would have no reason to sit down at a typewriter, typically. Speaking of things being shoehorned in, yeah. um, I mentioned this at the very ending when um, when Wendy and fucking... What's the kid's name? Uh, Danny. Danny. Um, when Wendy and Danny were making their getaway in the, the big snowmobile thing. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy, in retrospect, I really enjoyed the like shoehorned exposition of, ah, oh, you can both drive cars, can't you? Yeah, well, these things drive just like a car. Because <laughs> at the time I was like, what? They probably don't though. Uh, and <laughs> very then, handy later on. Yeah, it's a very handy piece of exposition. I enjoyed that. And then, um, God, the movie ends with that zoom in of like the photo from that party from 1921. Oh my God. And I was amused by how angrily you reacted to this because it's like one of my favourite endings to a horror film ever. I think it's beautiful and brilliant. I think it's too heavy-handed. And I know that we disagree on this, but I'll put forward my, I'll put forward my position and then you, you can shoot it down. Sure. Um, so when they first... Uh, I'm sure, you know, if, if you... Um, yeah, oh, who cares? Just everyone knows the shot I'm talking about. Um, that, that's the assumption I'm going to work with because I'm not, I'm not going to try and explain it. But Should we, I put a spoiler warning at the start of this episode? <laughs> I think the statute of limitations... I think society needs to calm the fuck down on spoilers. I think the statute of limitations well and truly gone for shining spoilers. That's a whole other argument. So, uh, um, anyway, carry on. Um, I think... So, very long um, tracking, zooming in shot i don't think it's zooming in i think it's tracking and then zooming in but anyway whatever very long shot of um us coming towards this wall of photographs and then we focus in on one of them and as soon as the camera came to rest on the photo Mm. i was like oh cool that's jack right there in the front in 1921 cool i get it this is kind of like a time an infinite time loop where things keep playing themselves out and that was foreshadowed in the scene in the sweet bathroom where Grady said, "You're uh, you've you, always been you, the you, you, you've always been the caretaker, and I should know I've always been here." Cool. Time is an omelet, flat circle. We're good to go. <laughs> and then they zoom in on the picture, and I go, "Yep, we get it. It's him." Then they zoom in again, and by this point, I'm screaming, "We fucking got it! It's him." In the past, and then they panned down to the date, and by that point, I was inconsolable with rage. Yeah, <laughs> because I and and you pointed out that you know DVD uh, quality is better than 
qualities of previous iterations, and maybe on VHS that would have been something they need to do. Or even in the cinema, in an old <sighs> cinema. But maybe, but I, I don't know, because they would have been 35mm film back then, and that's pretty good quality. That's true. I've got some, I've got some general thoughts on this aside from that, though. It's just so heavy-handed. First of all, Jack Nicholson's face is like the best face in the world. It is the most expressive, crazy face there is. Um, for, for a lot of the movie, I really enjoyed the way that he looked like he was being told two conflicting thoughts at all times. Yeah. Like one, in one ear, there's someone saying, hey, good news, you've just won the lottery. And then in the other ear was going, Nan's dead. <laughs> um, and he's just constantly trying to process these two conflicting thoughts. And I the, really enjoyed that face. The face we get in this final scene is quite different from the... Like, he doesn't look like he's going mad. He's clean-shaven. His hair's slicked back. He oh, looks, in, in the, the, the party yeah, photo. He looks very presentable. He, um, he doesn't look anything like he has looked at any point in the film. What I want to know, though, is why is the caretaker front and centre of this 1921 4th of July ball photo? <laughs> because he's not really the caretaker. He's like a, just a guy at the party. He's like... Uh, he's the centre of attention of the whole thing. It's... This film, I don't think it's quite as cut and dry as you think it is. It's meant, like, that last scene is not meant to be, like, explaining things. It's meant to make you say, wait, what the fuck? Right. Uh, This is my, this has always been my reading. Like, the ending is meant to increase ambiguity, not resolve ambiguity. Right. Because, uh, to just say it's like a time loop, like, so much of this film is about the distinction between how much Jack is driving himself to do these things because he's a fundamentally bad person. We find out, like, he's hurt his child before. He's, uh, you know, he's a writer and they're generally coded as bad people quite often in these things. (laughs) Sure, yes. And then... By you know, writers, like, which I, which is something I enjoy. The reason Stephen King doesn't like this adaptation is because he thinks it goes too hard on the idea that all of this is in Jack's head, which I completely disagree with. I don't really think that's the case with the film. Mm. But like the distinction between how much of this is the hotel, how much of it is Jack, is like this really complex sort mm. of a thing that we're meant to process. And then showing him at the end, like he's always been a part of this. Like, you know, the hotel's haunting him. He's haunting the hotel. It's this, uh, I don't think it's quite as cut and dry as that. And I think the long final shot is because we're meant to reflect on this a bit. We're meant to take some time with it, which I don't think is how you watch films necessarily the same way because I love cinema and you don't. And I think it's as simple as that in terms of how we process a scene like that. There, um... There are times when I will stop and think about things. Yeah. Like the other day. So literally a week or two ago, I had a thought about a scene from Frozen and I was like, oh, wait, (laughs) wait a minute. That scene is a microcosm of the entire film. That's interesting. I've never picked up that parallel before. And then I went back to writing a letter of advice to one of my clients. (laughs) This thought just popped into my head out of nowhere. So... It's not... Dear sir, let it go. That one's your <laughs> Very good. It's my one frozen joke. Nobody else has ever made it. Um, uh, and so, you know what? Maybe one day I'll be, walking to the, I'll be walking to the train station in three weeks' time and go, hold on, it is more complex than my initial reaction. Um, I don't know. That's, I mean, there's a lot going on in this there's, film. There's a lot. So, I mean, look... Whilst I do not... Uh, actually, we were talking about this last night. Do you remember your inertia analogy? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I think inertia is a very good way to describe me in films. <laughs> because it is, as you've seen, very 
very hard to get me sitting in front of a TV with a movie on it. Yes. But once I'm going, I'm happy to go along for the ride for the most part. <laughs> um, and uh, some of that inertia will carry on and I probably will do some processing of this over the next day or two. Um, will I come to the conclusion that that final shot's not heavy-handed? Unlikely. <laughs> Unlikely. Well, I don't think there's... I think it is heavy-handed, but I think it's heavy-handed with significant purpose. Right. Is my argument. Right. I think it deserves to be heavy-handed. Right. Deserves to be. Yeah, right. because it's meant to be like, here's the final thing for you to think about. Let's take a bit of time. There was originally a different last scene where we got to see, like, Danny in the hospital and, like, talking to a doctor and... Uh, he very wisely cut that out, I think. I think it works much better where the movie just, like, ends sure. kind of abruptly. Well, and, like, the final things we're left to think about are, like, the horrors we've just witnessed sure. rather than, like, the aftermath of that. Stephen King did write a sequel novel to The Shining, which is kind of interesting. I have read it. It's, like, said 30 years later... Danny's an adult now, he's still psychic, he ends up fighting a coven of witches. It's, it's really something. Coven of witches? Yeah. The novel's quite different in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't want to spoil it too badly for anyone who hasn't read it. The, Why? Because there's like some interesting differences, and it would be nice for people who have only seen the film to have the chance to discover them. There is like one very substantial difference in that outside, there's a bunch of like... Uh, you know, like, bushes shaped like giant animals, and at one point they sort of, like, come to life and attack Danny, and it's, like, a weird scene oh, that... Some some topiary animals. Yeah, because, like I said before, Stephen King was much more set on the idea that the, the hotel is evil alongside Jack, like, sort of unleashing something with his own awfulness. Because mm. I think there is some implication that the... In this film, that the Overlook is only haunted if the person like caring for it is has their own sufficient demons that sort of like will unleash them rather than just inherently being there at all times for everyone uh which is why it can continue to operate as a hotel normally yes right and why there's like there's been a case of another caretaker going crazy and killing their family but it was like 10 years ago and there are other bad things that happen you know a woman's drowned in a bathtub there maybe something else you know i think there probably is an implication that most of the residents we see towards the end are people who died in that hotel. Yes. And there are quite a lot of them. Yes. But yeah, it's a good film. I like it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> a couple of other things that I thought were... Uh, comparing my expectations to the reality of what happened. So in the Treehouse of Horror 1, which yeah. I haven't seen for a while. Maybe I should have watched that more recently. But I feel like... Um, uh, Willie, yes, who is the stand-in for um, Scatman Crothers? Yep, yep. I forget the name of the character in the, but yep. why would you? His so, name is Scatman uh, Crothers. Um, it's um, more important. Uh, Mr. Halloran, Halliday, is it? Ha- something like that. Yeah, close enough. Um, uh, when Willie rocks up and is imme- in, uh, immediately killed, and yep. he's, I think he says, "Oh, down I go," or that's something like that. Um, Anyway, rocks up and immediately killed. Yeah, I assumed when it became clear that um, Scatman Crothers was going to travel back to the hotel and be like, Beep, bop, bop, bop. <laughs> uh, uh, when it became clear that he was going to come back, I'm like, oh, I get it. The Willie being instantly killed and having no fucking effect 
is The Simpsons turning this on its head. That's fun. <laughs> that's cool. And then he was instantly killed and had no effect. And I was like, oh, fuck. Well, it did have no effect because he left a snowmobile here. That's the whole reason he came, is oh, to yeah, leave the car. He, le- he did leave yeah. a snowmobile. But I do, I love that Willy thing just because they repeated throughout the other two segments. That's true. <laughs> making yes. him like triply ineffective. The way <laughs> on the last one, he gets the axe and immediately says, oh, I'm bad at this as he collapses. is perfect. Triply ineffective is a nice phrase. <laughs> um... And also, yeah, I've never really thought that the way that he says, oh, I'm bad at this, implies not only continuity between those three segments, <laughs> but also a consciousness that carries over those three segments. Yes. Which is fun. We'll have to delve into that when we get to that episode. It is one of my absolute favorite Treehouse of Horror segments um, as well. I have no further written notes, so I just threw my book away. <laughs> Brilliant. I've also run out of the... I've been playing with a piece of yarn. I've been tying it in knots, and now I've run out of yarn to knot. But have, have you got things you want to say about The Shining, James? I was going to talk about some other references The Simpsons makes sure. to The Shining. Sure. Uh, there's the episode Homer and Apu, mm-hmm. which, you know, there's a whole thing there now. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, there's the scene in the Monster Mart where they tip over the maple... No, the cranberry juice, and that pours everywhere oh, like the blood. Oh, yes. That's not something I've ever really thought of as a Shining, as a shining thing. But, uh, but I think the framing is similar. Uh, we find out at one point that... You know what I found interesting about the, the wave of blood, by the way? This is, oh, God, okay. This, yep. this is one of those moments where, like... Yeah, this is... The, you turned to me and <laughs> said this to me. I'm like, Nick, shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's, one, it's one of those moments where I I catch myself observing films weirdly, yeah. I, think, I think is the best way of describing it. Because the blood comes out of the elevator and then when you see the blood get to the couches that are on either side of the of the shot, um, all this blood starts splashing up. And I was like, well, they're cheating. They're using like some some bl- explosion packs or some blister packs or some or some fans or something, some air pressure to create these splashes because that wouldn't happen. And then I caught myself and went, wait, why do I care about blood having correct f- <laughs> flow physics? This doesn't matter or make sense. Um, I'm, I'm pretty bad at watching movies is the takeaway from that. It's fine. <laughs> you did keep like popping up with very pedantic questions, but they were mostly okay. I understood. I, I have another pedantic question. Yeah. If I remember the conversation between Scatman Crothers and uh, little Danny um, Trujillo. Little Danny. Uh, correct. Did you, say, did you say Danny Trejo? <laughs> uh, Danny Trejo, the <laughs> bass player from Metallica. Um, okay. Um, the If I remember the, cor- the thing correctly. So when he's talking about... The Shining, which yeah. Danny refers to as Tony, being the voice in his head slash yeah. in his finger. Um, he said, uh, he, Danny says, no, I've never told mum and dad about it because Tony told me not to. But in an earlier scene when he's eating the sandwich and they're still at home, mm. doesn't his mum say, well, what does Tony think about going to the, the hotel? Mm. Yeah, but I think Tony's just like the imaginary friend. Right. That's what his friend oh, does. Okay. He never says, I'm psychic, by the way. I know what you're thinking. Okay, sure, sure, Because sure, you see sure, him sure. talking to Tony early on and Tony like already knows that his dad is going to accept the job and they're going to go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I got all that bit. Yeah, I, just, yeah. I just thought that the mum referring to Tony meant that she knew about The Shining, but he's just disguising it as an imaginary friend right now in uh, the episode the boy who knew too much which is the one where bart sees the uh one of the minor quimby's uh not commit a crime sure yes uh early on in that episode when, when otto picks up the kids in that prison bus 
He says, uh, the regular school bus broke down, so take a seat before I blow your heads off, and then apologizes, saying that he and the bus have a sort of shining thing going on. Oh, uh, yes. Yep, cool. So what are the wider implications of that for Otto? Um, oh, the, the Otto has a Tony of his own. Yeah, he's got his own little Tony. He's got his own little Tony. <laughs> he won an award for Broadway. Is that the Tony Awards, the Broadway ones? Yeah, it's some sort of musical thing. Yeah, well, there you go. Otto won a, won a Broadway award. Beautiful. So, um... Okay, I'm glad that's the resolution to that bit then. <laughs> um, and maybe the Otto's going to go on a murderous rampage and kill everyone? Yeah, I suppose that's a possibility, but I like to think it's just that Otto is a talented musician. Yeah, or that maybe um, uh, Otto has always been the bus driver. <laughs> I mean, and that's kind of true, because we then... just found out in the Otto show that even when he loses, it turns yes. out he doesn't have a license. Yes. They won't let him not be the bus driver, bus yeah. driver man. Yeah, it, it also explains why... He steps why on the clutch and the toilet goes flush. <laughs> it also explains why that episode ends with 45 minutes of incremental zooming in on Otto's face. <laughs> 45 minutes. In a directorial decision that caused me no um, ill will towards the director. I don't really have ill will towards the director. That's over. Except for all that other stuff we talked about earlier. <laughs> yeah. Except for all that. Yeah. Um, right, all that stuff I did. <laughs> but all my stuff's there. Yeah. Yeah, there's quite a few, like, red rum references that pop up here and there. It's, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess, like, the main the main thing is obviously that uh, the Treehouse of Horror mm. episode. Is that... Have you traditionally liked that Treehouse of Horror, the Shining one? Yeah, I, I have, actually. I, yeah. I regard it quite fondly. Yeah, um, probably more fondly than I regard the movie. <laughs> I, so many people I know are going to be infuriated when they listen to this. Yeah, mainly me. <laughs> <laughs> Is this one that I'm going to have to edit because you're not going to want to see? Real the... sense that like we were going to talk about this. You're like, oh yeah, that was great. I'm surprised by how much I liked it because <laughs> you seemed pretty engaged. There was a point where you stopped talking and just started watching the movie. <laughs> Well, that that was partly because I knew that if I kept talking, I would annoy you, because I'd probably miss crucial plot points. Um, look, it was um, at, at no point. Did, well, okay, I'll do a compare and contrast, right? Yeah. Remember the second time we watched the Simpsons movie? At one point, I stood up and said, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" and walked away. Yeah, I didn't do that during The Shining. <laughs> That's true. So what you're saying is that The Shining is better than The Simpsons movie. I am saying that, yes. <laughs> I don't know if I can go so far as to say that I enjoyed it. I'm not... Pr- I, I, I doubt that I'd ever watch it again. Sure. I'm weirdly... As for me, I like got a little annoyed at the DVD quality and will probably go and buy the Blu-ray on the way home. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm weirdly pleased that I've seen it because it puts into context a lot of references that I have seen yep. through over the years. Um um, but, I'm surprised you've yeah. never seen a reference to the very strange blowjob scene because I feel like I've seen that parodied. Oh yeah, I was yeah. that that caught me incredibly off guard. Yeah, and then when they're running through the maze at the end, I was like, "Fuck! I hope we turn a corner and find the pig face man giving a blowjob again." <laughs> um, You're also getting very annoyed at Danny for going into the maze, even though it was a good plan. Oh, in the end, it turned out to be a good plan. I just didn't have any faith in his ability to come up with a plan on the fly. But there's the implication that he knows the maze better than his dad. He's been into the maze. He's sort of yeah, gone around there. Plus, he's psychic, I you know. Guess, I guess so. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, what has the pig-faced blowjob man been referenced in? Because that that was well, it's a it's another one that's kind of hard to do like a PG sort of like yeah. parody of. It was so it was so jarringly unexpected to me. Yeah, I'm and that's one it. of the great things about the end of this film is just like weird shit that you can't explain just pops up for a moment. That's one of those scenes. Mm. It's um. It's what Hitchcock, I think, he used to refer to what he would call like the icebox scene in a film, where like um oh yeah I've, yeah yeah you've talked yeah. yeah I don't no, know if can, I've done it on the podcast. It, you can do it for the listeners. Yeah, yeah, where you like you see a movie and then you go home and that night like you're making yourself a drink and as you get ice out of the icebox you think wait a minute what the fuck was that scene about? <laughs> <laughs> Which is such a wonderfully specific way of phrasing it. <laughs> yeah. Which is his whole idea that movies stick with you and you keep thinking about them afterwards and you think, huh, the hotel in 1921, that's interesting. What was that blowjob scene about? Mm. And that one scene in uh, Vertigo where they go to that house, what the fuck was all that about? Vertigo, oh, you mean the music clip for the U2 song Vertigo? Yeah, hello, hello, this movie is Vertigo. (laughs) It was directed by Hitchcock. <laughs> the verse one just reads out the dramatis persona. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, well, I think that's all of my shorts on the thought. Have you got any specific questions about The Shining that you want me to address? Uh, I think we've covered everything. The fact that, you, you know, you didn't hate it, but you didn't like it because you hate films. Yep. So. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much where I lie. Yep. Yeah. Didn't hate it is a pretty strong reaction to you for a film that has no Muppets in it. <laughs> that's a pretty good summation of my films yeah well hopefully uh, after the end of some other seasons we'll do more of these movies and I'll get closer and closer to figuring out how it is you read and interpret movies yes absolutely and I was going to say maybe some of my love of cinema will rub off. I don't think that's going to happen somehow. I mean, may, um, maybe. Maybe you'll just wear me down. Maybe you'll at least get closer to understanding what I like about movies. Oh. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, I don't know. Because we have we went to a sports game last night. We did. And I made a comment afterwards that made you say, I think you fundamentally misunderstand why most people watch sport. I did say that. Yeah. And but see that was oh, this isn't this isn't necessarily interesting podcast conversation. I think it is. But that that comment was interesting because when I was saying I think you fundamentally misunderstand why most people like sport, I didn't know if you were being a hundred percent honest in your comment mm-hmm. or if you were being intentionally slightly facetious. Well, it was okay. The comment I believe was. You go to these games and you see people get so upset about like everything that's happening, even when they're winning, like mm. when somebody doesn't perform well or like a kick doesn't. You see, people just seem to get so upset during sport, mm. and I and I know that's sort of like a passion that's coming out. Mm. But I said it just seems strange to me that people like spend so much of the game like angry and upset yeah. when they this is a sport they like and you know they're not just enjoying that it's happening at all. Yeah, and I guess my. Uh, my thing with that comes from I've once heard someone so I support Adelaide Crows in the Australian Football League Yeah. Um, and I once heard someone say oh the thing about Crows fans is even if you're winning by 100 points Crows fans still get annoyed if you don't take the mark yeah. and I'm like yeah of course we do <laughs> we want to see our players take the mark or land the kick like 
of course we want to see them do well. It doesn't matter that we're winning by a million billion points. <laughs> Don't have little skill errors. To me, that makes a world of sense. But Yeah, it seems like Crows fans demand perfection. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> and I, on the one hand, I see that that's not reasonable. But I also can see that, you know, if things don't go... I mean... For me, I end up getting annoyed with some players because it'll be like, oh, come on, Josh Jenkins, I know you can kick that goal. I've seen you do it before. Why did you miss? See, watching a movie like this, one thing that I've been thinking about recently because I've been re-watching Mad Max Fury Road a few times because I love Mad Max Fury Road. Sure. And I realised like, when I'm watching a film I really love and I see it several times, there's this distinction I start to form between like, here's a scene that makes me like the movie less and here's just like an isolated scene I don't like as much as I like the rest of the movie. Sure. As, um, this happened with The Dark Knight. I watched The Dark Knight like six, seven times. And eventually I started to think, I think less of the movie as a culmination of all these different things. Mm. Whereas with Fury Road, my feeling is, I like the movie as much as I've always liked it, if not more. These scenes irritate me slightly more each time I watch it, though. Interesting. So, uh, I forget what my original point was. Oh, with The Shining, I feel like... I've only seen The Shining a few times, but there were a few things that stuck out to me this time. It was like, eh, a little irritated by that choice, don't like that, mm. that sort of thing. There's a very bad knife prop towards the end that really bothered me this time. Yeah, it's a really dodgy prop. Yeah, but it's a movie that uh, I love very deeply, and every time I do know something I don't like as much, it doesn't take away from my love of the movie, really as a whole sure I guess that was my thought yeah on the movie The Shining that's good directed by Stanley Kubrick very good based on the novel by Stephen King sure uh, so this has been Pods in the Key of Springfield a podcast solely and entirely about The Simpsons <laughs> and this has been a uh, a subset the first installment of 22 long films about or otherwise tangentially related to Springfield. <laughs> That's all I'm going to rely on you to remember, I think. Because <laughs> we weren't just going to go with Flim Springfield, but somebody else already does that. So. <gasps> Fuck! That's right! I was... Oh, because someone already did that. And then yeah. I was going to say, well, let's call it 22 long flims about or otherwise tangentially related <laughs> to Springfield. Otherwise known as, in the shorthand version, 22 flims. <laughs> So this is 22 Flims. You're listening to 22 Flims, a subset of the Pods in the Key of Springfield media empire that James and I are creating. Look, whatever you're listening to, it's over now, so thank you for listening. (laughs) (laughs) There Um, will be no sequences after the credits. Everyone, social media, uh, Pods in the Key of Springfield or Key Springfield, you'll find us. Yep. It's fine. 22 Flims. Just search that until you find us. All right. uh, We've got something a bit different next episode. Which I think will be two weeks away at the point we put this up. I've sort of, we're briefly doing a fortnightly schedule to uh, accommodate some craziness, but that's all right. Uh, yeah, look out for that. We've got a ridiculous special guest on the next episode. Oh, yeah, that and one. I'm losing my mind over the fact that this person agreed to do some stuff for our dumb podcast. Yes. So, like, get as excited as you can about that it's not Matt Groening but it is in fact it's not actually a Simpsons person I should say that but it is no Whoa. it's, it's big exciting one. to us it's a big one yep uh, alright then thank you for listening uh, what's like a good shining quote to go out on I've, I, well see I've, I spent time looking one up because I thought you were going to do your normal standard quote and then I was going to do a shining one. Okay, well, all work and no play makes James a dull boy. That's mine. 
a momentary loss of muscular coordination, a few extra foot pounds of energy per second per second. Jack Nicholson, is that you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Can't you tell by my face? I'm being told two conflicting things. You're telling me the shining's good, and I'm telling myself it's not. <laughs> You piece of shit. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> At least you didn't bring up Zack Snyder again. Okay, bye. Bye. In Overlook. <laughs>